step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. For joining us, this is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. And it is our final show for this Christmas season, right? Tomorrow is going to be... Uh, uh, Christmas Eve and the next day is going to be Christmas. So we're going to take a break so that you can take a break and enjoy family and enjoy all the stuff that goes with Christmas and take some time to recoup, regenerate, renovate, reinstate, re-engineer, right? And to do all those great things so that we can come back and be a blessing to you next week. We'll be back next Monday on our broadcast, which will be the Eve of New Year's right? And then, of course, we're going to broadcast on New Year's Eve. I think I said that. Is it New Year's Eve? We're going to broadcast on New Year's Eve and welcome you in to the New Year and countdown. For those of you who will not be out partying, if you do party, please do so responsibly. Please have a designated driver or use a rideshare service, but if you are inebriated, please be with someone. So that you don't end up in a car that is not an Uber, that is not a Lyft, and that is not your designated driver. So if you're going to use a rideshare service this year, understand that there are people with nefarious intentions out there who will take advantage of the fact that you are inebriated and out of your wits. So please be careful. Please be safe. Practice safety above everything else. I encourage everybody, sure, you want to that regardless. And I just encourage you all to be safe. Uh, please do not drink and drive. For the love of God, please stop. Recently, here in our area, some people were killed because a wrong-way driver on a freeway went the wrong way. He went northbound in the southbound lanes and killed people off at 11 o'clock at night because he was so drunk he didn't realize where he was. He hit one car, went in another lane, and hit another car, and they didn't even realize that he was in the wrong lane. He didn't die, but the other people did. They had to use jaws of life to cut people out. So please, I'm asking you, please do not drink and drive. I know you feel like you're in control, and I know you feel like the drink, it's not that much. I can handle it. You don't want to hand over the keys to anybody. But for the love of God in Christ Jesus, please do not drink and drive. And ladies, go out in groups, if you will. Meet your girlfriend. Leave together, go drive to one house, right? Drive to somebody's apartment, and then get into a rideshare service together. Can you do that, young women? Can you do that, please? Men, look out for your girlfriends, your ex-girlfriends, your friends, your cousins, your nieces, right? Look out for them. If they're getting into a rideshare service, take the phone, match it up, right? Make sure that you match up the driver with the car, Match up the driver to the one in the app. Match it up. Don't just say, oh, are you waiting for Liz? And jump into a car, and there could be someone there with nefarious intentions. They're looking to rob people. They're looking to rape people. And they're looking to take what you have that is most valuable and precious to you, your life. 
So for, for the love of God, please, I'm asking you, be safe this holiday season. When you are done with Christmas dinner and you're leaving your family home, if you don't feel like driving, please let someone know. They would rather you be with them than to go here, to go visit you in a hospital or have to go somewhere else to identify what's left of you. So please, please be very careful and be safe this holiday season. I want to see you back <laughs> come next week, right? We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to do in the next coming weeks and in the, in the coming months in the new year. There's a lot going on and we have way too much to live for, right? Say that. We have way too much to live for. Life is too good. You have way too much to live for to throw it away on just being on one drink, just to be careless, just to accept the bet, right? So make sure that you take care of yourself and be safe this holiday season. So today I want to talk about being homeless in America. We've been talking about this for some time. And we've been talking about what it means for others, right? Uh, This is our first season. We're going to wrap this up in just a little bit. But uh, what does it mean today is the 23rd, if you can believe that. Can you believe that? Today is the 23rd of December. We're actually here, people, right? So we're going to talk about black and homeless in America's wealthiest state. And no need to ask who is America's wealthiest state. We all know who that is, right? That's California. California has more millionaires and more wealth than anywhere else in the country. So what does it mean to be black and homeless? Uh, in America's wealthiest state. And this particular article, they focused on one man, a black man, who had lived in the Los Angeles area all his life and ended up on Skid Row. And he said he never imagined that he would end up on Skid Row. And we look at the social factors that contribute to homelessness, drug use, mental illness, right? People with drug, with convictions, criminal convictions that they have gone into the system for, that they've gone to prison for, and on emerging from prison, by and large, people are left homeless. They don't have a support system. Their families are too poor. Their families can't take them back in. There's not a support system. And what we are seeing is that homelessness, mental illness, contributes a lot to homelessness. But it's mostly in the black community. In, in the white community, the, being mentally ill doesn't mean people don't work. Being mentally ill doesn't mean people don't have access to resources. Being mentally ill does not necessarily mean somebody is going to be homeless. But across the country, what we're seeing is that mentally unwell black people end up being homeless. So we began to look at, so sociologists and social scientists began to look at the reasons that are contributing factors to this, because homelessness has become a big problem. I know it's not something for Uh, the current administration to focus on. I know it's not something that anybody is focused on because they're all caught up in power struggles or whatever. Meanwhile, the rest of the country is going to pot and the social issues that need to be fixed are still not being addressed. Yes, you heard me correctly. They're focused on power and the maintenance of power. Whilst we want to have a balance of power, but in the meantime, can we get some things done about fixing the country and helping the people of the country in the meantime? Can we do that? So while, you're fo- while all the media cameras are focused on that, can we focus on getting people off the streets? Getting, let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. It's Christmas. Let me stop. Okay? So what we have found is that there's a direct link from redlining to homelessness. You know what redlining is. Redlining is a public policy initiative that began in the 1920s and the 1930s that was designed exclusively 
to marginalize black people. When black people were coming from the South into the North, public policy was created so that they could not live in certain areas, that they could not live in certain neighborhoods. And then they would be charged astronomically high rent and astronomically high interest rates on mortgages that essentially prevented them from either accessing a mortgage or prevented them from paying for the mortgage. Redlining was also a contributing factor to why black people didn't have steady jobs. So if they didn't have steady jobs, so for all of you folks out there who like to say, well, you don't try hard enough, let me tell you why. Because when black people came up from the South, white people who lived in the North were not non-racist. They were just as racist. They just abided by the law, but they were just as racist. So they would gather in factories and protest at, to, for white, black people not to work in the same factories as they did. When that was not enough, they would beat black people and the police would stand by and do nothing about it. This is historical fact. This happened in Chicago, happened in Detroit, happened in Des Moines, it happened in Milwaukee, happened in every area of the country where black people emigrated to. It happened in Oakland, California, right? Happened in Stockton, California, in Compton. Happened everywhere that black people emigrated to from the South. There was redlining that prevented them from even accessing jobs that would provide stability for generations to come. Meanwhile, people who were emigrating from Eastern Europe could do as they pleased. They got the jobs, right? They could do whatever they wanted to. So they provided, they created generational wealth. So this, so what social scientists have found out is that homelessness is it, gen, generational. So if your grandparents and your grandmama and them were homeless and didn't provide you with stability, it's going to be a real struggle for a generation to rise up and overcome that. And what it means is that one slip, one lost job, one missing paycheck is enough to send people plunging into it because they don't have a support system because grandmama and them still living in Section 8 housing, still living in housing where they don't own anything. So they're least likely to be able to take in a family member who just got out of jail because of drug policies where white people can go buy cannabis for free. It's now called cannabis, not marijuana. But black people were locked up for smoking marijuana. But now it's legal. Anybody can't smoke it. So the people who are in jail are withering away on a public policy that was designed to capture people and place them at an economic disadvantage and at a social disadvantage. This is what public policy looks like. So when you hear people talk about this, they're not being anti this or anti that. They're simply stating the facts just like I am. These are the facts. So when we look at homelessness across the country, homelessness is caused, is a direct result of public policy. We have to begin to look at the nexus and the root of it because there are too many people who are homeless for this just to be uh, something that just happens on a fluke. People just lost a job and that's it. No. We have to look at so where your parents are, where your grandparents are, where do they live? And what we found was, Jesus, it is happening in the same communities that had been marginalized for 100 years now. In fact, it's getting close on to 120 years because the Great Migration started in 1910, in 1905. 
So it's getting close on to 120 years. So whereas slavery was abolished and made illegal, they continued to perpetuate the form of slavery that is called Jim Crow, that is called racism in the North and redlining in the North, but it's called Jim Crow down South. So when black people came from the South to the North, they still couldn't find jobs. They still couldn't work anywhere else. They still were beaten. Their homes were destroyed whenever they tried to live in communities. Their homes were destroyed. The few white people who would rent them a house, those white people had to run because other white people would beat them up for renting to blacks. And then if they did choose to live, then you know they were going to pay twice what it would normally cost somebody else to rent. Black people were also grossly underpaid. That's how come we had trade unions being formed. Unions were formed to level the playing field, especially in the auto industry, because the black men and the white men were working on the same line, but the white man was earning way more. So unions were formed to level the playing field. This is what the struggle has been about, and the struggle continues to this day. So we overcome one war, we get to another one, we get to another battle get to another battle, because there are many battles in a war. The war is to overcome racism and economic oppression, right? Let's be focused on that. And there are many different battles within that. So you overcome one, and they create another obstacle. They overcome one, and they have another one staring you in the face, so much so that some people feel like they'll never get out of it. You'll never get out of this. It will never work. You send your kids to school, they go to college, and then they come back from college with degrees and they can't get a job. Or they get a job that is at $14 an hour, but their white counterparts are earning $25 an hour for the same job, requiring the same level of skills with the same level of qualification. Your black kid who has $700 a month has hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay back in student loans. Is getting $14 to $15 an hour, but the white girl and the white kid is getting $20 to $25 an hour. Economic oppression is real. That's where the fight is. And that's what the rest of us are talking about. We're not just making noise. We're informed. We're educated. And we're telling it like it is. These are the facts. This is what we, if we want to move forward as a country, this is what we must confront. We must confront the fact that we are racist to our core, and that we practice economic oppression. We may not like the term racism, but that's what it means to a person of color when you prevent me from accessing an opportunity. When you prevent my kid from getting a job and getting fairly paid for that job with equal skills and equal education, when you cut off employment opportunities and educational opportunities, when you create redlining public policy, that dictates where people live so they don't have economic infrastructural investment in communities of color, that is racism. Whether you like it or not, it is what it is. doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. If you practice it, it is what it is. So the argument that, well, only these, this group of people does it or that, no. I, in my experience, I have found that liberals practice more racism on me than anybody else did. I wasn't around Republicans for a long time. But who did I experience racism from? Liberals around me. A few years ago, I think it was back in 2014. It was in 2014. I went to volunteer at a local nonprofit. 
I was on their speakers bureau. I wanted to set up my own nonprofit. So I wanted to find out how nonprofits work. So I said, okay, I went and volunteered my time. My time is valuable because my experience is valuable. I volunteered my time so I could see what the inner workings are. A position became available. I thought it would be a good way for me to get a leg up, seeing that I have contacts in the in the industry already, in the sector, right? I thought I could get, you know, I already had the contacts. I knew how to navigate the system. I applied for the job. The white woman who uh, interviewed me, there were two or three of them, right? The human resources person said she didn't have a problem with me. She thought I should get it. But she said they're not going to give you. She was white. She said they're not going to give you because it comes right down to, have you ever heard of the term racism? And I said, mm-hmm. She said that's what it's going to come down to. Then she resigned, <laughs> right? The, white, the, the woman who was the chief executive officer or the assistant chief executive officer told me flat out they were not going to give me the job because I was too sophisticated. Listen to this. I was too sophisticated of thought. And I had already accomplished so much that there was no place in their organization for me. When I pressed her for more details, what happened is a white girl came in, a young white girl came in for the job. And because she was homeless, they hired her over me. And then they told me that she was homeless. I said, no, you didn't hire her because she was homeless because they were all the people who walked through the door. You hired her because she's white. You just didn't want me to get access to the information and to get access to financial stability. I didn't tell them I was setting up a nonprofit. I was just a friend of faith. Because of that racism, blatant racism, someone else within their organization referred me to someone else, and that's how I got out of that. I kid you not. So when I tell you that racism is real, it is. I never knew that such a thing could happen, but there I was. I had volunteered with them. I had you know, I'd spent time around them. I didn't see why they wouldn't hire me. But they chose not to because of racism, right? And this is exactly, uh, this, is, uh, this is exactly what we're talking about. Right? This is exactly what, what it means to be. So when you look at homelessness in California, you have to go back to the history. And what you find in the history is that inherent in the history was the great migration from the South. When they migrated from the South and went West, especially people from Texas, they were the ones who were closest to California, and people in the Western Southern states, right? They went West to California and they were treated badly. And they were, the blacks from the South were surprised that they would encounter racism because they were told that white people in the North or the impression was that white people in the North were not racist. No, they were just as bad. Especially immigrant white folks who had just come over from Europe, the ones from Eastern Europe and the ones from Ireland, right? Who had come over who were working in factories, they felt like blacks were coming to take their jobs. They beat black people out of those jobs. And the police stood right there and watched it happen. You don't believe me? Go Google it. It's available for anybody to read. Right? And this happened in northern cities across the board. The headlines of the day were filled and replete with this kind of stuff that went on and on. That was redlining. 
that was the beginning of redlining until it became almost like it's unwritten federal policy. That's how the suburbs were created. The suburbs were created, the suburbans, suburban living, suburban lifestyle, suburban homes, and neighborhoods were created so that black people could never enter in. And in some parts, that still is true. That still is true. Even now with the advent of the rise of the black middle class that has been going on for some time, there's still some parts that black people feel uncomfortable in penetrating. Some people will tell you they're the only black on their block, they're the only two blacks in their neighborhoods or something like that. It's still uncomfortable. People still have to tell their kids when pulled over by the police, this is how you act, this is what you do, this is how you prevent those kinds of things from happening. It still goes on to this day. So when you look at homelessness, it's not my problem, it's not my thing to do because it's not, it is affecting black people not because black people just randomly choose to be homeless, because that is the messaging from the society, that black people are worthless, they're lazy, they're this. But for generations, you're talking about slavery ended. But instead of slavery ended and people could, if 100 years ago there wasn't redlining, if 100 years ago black people were given the opportunity to rise up and, you know, start businesses and so on, do you think, that you would have the social problems of drug trafficking that you have today? No, you wouldn't have. People had to live so they found a way to live. They created a kind of commerce that they could live. Plus, white people who were nefarious saw an opportunity and flooded neighborhoods with crack, a cheaper form of cocaine, to keep people further enslaved. They created laws that meant if you were found with possession of cocaine and marijuana, you would go to jail thereby creating a whole other form of slavery where people are now in jail and they work hard labor. You ever heard about hard labor? Where they produce products for companies like Staples at two cents an hour. That's slavery. That's modern day slavery. That's massive human trafficking. That's modern day slavery. Now, I'm not talking about people who, you know, choose to do something wrong because the same apathy and the same kind of economic oppression exists and it's pervasive to all, all of us. Just don't choose to take up the gun and take up the drugs and go participate. Some of us pay a higher price than others. People like myself and others, we pay a higher price because we choose not to participate in anything that is going to be negative. Thus, we end up being the ones who get this flack from both sides. We get the flack from public policy. They hate us. They don't want you to progress because if they empower you with money and make sure you have access to money, then you're going to be empowered. So they want to shut down voices like mine all the time because we speak up and speak out. I have a friend of mine who is a, is a, is a professor. He's now at a college in Louisiana. He had to go south. Black colleges could hardly get in. They couldn't keep him. There's not enough money to keep him full-time as a professor anywhere. Most black people who are well-educated work as adjunct professors, which means they earn like $25,000 a year with a PhD. Say, wow, a white person with a PhD earns seven figures. They're not joking. They didn't get that PhD for a joke. And they are paid by their peers, even if they don't demonstrate qualification or skills or expertise. 
I am one of those people who I'm not putting up with that foolishness. I'm going to eat. But why should I, why am I going to be stressed and pushed to the limit? Do you see what I'm saying? We've pushed people over the edge. We've pushed people for generations away from wealth because we didn't like how they looked. We need to confront that. Just because somebody looks different from you, you don't want them to have it. It's hatred. It's nothing less than just pure hatred. You don't want them to have it because they look different than you. And you create all kinds of justifications and reasons why. But did you ever give anybody a chance? Did your did your generate you are responsible because you are a descendant. Just like you are saying I am responsible for the generations of black people who went before me and the generations of white people who went before me. Just like you're saying I am responsible, you are just as responsible for the generations of white people who enforced the hatred that created the problems today. You're just as responsible. You're holding me responsible for five generations, seven generations of, of slaves. I'm holding you responsible for five and seven generations of slave ownership and beating slaves and beating people and killing them and forcing them to have sex to create a free labor society for you. I'm holding you just as responsible as you're holding me responsible for the crack cocaine epidemic that decimated black communities. I'm holding you responsible for flooding the streets with guns that is killing off young black people at record unprecedented levels because they have no commerce. They have no industry. They have no hope. So they turn on one another in utter and total frustration. They kill one another off because they don't know how else to express it because somebody else is getting a leg up and they've been waiting in line and you tell them to be patient and to be wait. Wait for what? That's what public policy does. And it is aided and abetted by public policy creators and enforcers. I kid you not. I went to a, a, a symposium some time ago with the former mayor of, of Flint, the black lady, who stood up to oppression. Yeah? And she was surrounded by white policymakers, the people who had been in the job for decades. I knew she couldn't get, I took one look as I walked into that room and I could tell she wasn't going to get anything done and they were making sure she wasn't elected because she was a champion. She was, and she had run out of energy. She got tired of the fight. She looked at it and she's like, I want to live. It looks like they're going to put something in my coffee one day or set my brakes up. You could look in her face and tell. She had gotten tired of the fight. Because the people who were around her were enforcing the redlining. Because I started to ask questions. Y'all knew this was going on and you didn't do anything. And you're blaming it on this and blaming it on that. When that really comes back to where were you 25 years ago? Were you still in the same position you're in? Then you're part of the problem. Do you see what I'm saying? I guarantee you my friend won't invite me back to another one of those because I asked questions that stirred it up. You're not going to have me back. <laughs> right? Because I didn't conform 
to the obedience requirement, which is shut up, don't say anything. You should be grateful that you're even in the room with us. And I looked at them like, you must have the wrong chick on your mind today because you definitely are not talking to me. So keep that attitude to yourself. Don't display it to me because I'm not that one. Right? We have to, and I'm seeing all of us, even for those of us who are people of color, who have been affected by marginalization, because it's right here. You've heard of the representative Rashida Tlaib. She's from Down River, Michigan, right, in southeastern Michigan. If you drive down there, you can smell the chemicals in the air from the factories. It's so marked that coming out of and you're driving into it, you can smell it. That's somebody who has been affected by redlining. And you really think that it's not going to power her along to address injustice? How do you expect? you? My friends, understand there's some things that we cannot forget because you yourself might not enforce it, but there's someone who looks like you who is going to continually try to remind me of why I don't get the opportunity. They're going to deny me not because I don't qualify, not because I didn't write a good program, not because I have issues in my criminal background, in my background. No, they're going to deny me simply because of how I look and how I sound. And we have to get to overcome those obstacles. Those are issues that must be addressed. And whenever you find a politician who is going to address that, they get rid of them. Because essentially they want the system the way it is because it works for them. Sometimes I wonder about this concept of government often by the people for the people. I'm like, which people? Which people were they talking about? Because it's not me. They weren't talking about people who look like me. Were they? Government of Stephen Miller by Stephen Miller for Stephen Miller. Yeah, maybe. The architect of the massive immigration debacle that has ruined the reputation of this country. He is the one who created all this wicked policy towards immigrants that have ruined the country. Why do you hate people so? That's hatred. And you practice it under the guise of public policy. Good God Almighty, are we human? It's Christmas. Is it? Is it Christmas? I have to wonder about that. I have to wonder, is it Christmas? The redlining in black communities where there is no employment, where there is no money, people can't pay taxes on their properties. So then their properties are going to end up in foreclosure for taxes they can't afford to pay. That's redlining. That's what redlining is. And I think the black the uh, the black city hall people are either oblivious or, or are so intent on just keeping it for themselves so they can hold on to what they have, they fail to see the full impact and import of these public policies. That's redlining. That's what that is. And it's happening not just in Detroit. It happens in Compton, happens in Los Angeles, right? 
happens in Baltimore, in Atlanta. Right now in Atlanta, all of a sudden, Atlanta is going through what is called gentrification. I'm like shocked. I'm like, Atlanta? Atlanta was the black capital of, the, of, 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 of America. Since when Atlanta is going to be gentrified? That's exactly the point. They call it gentrification because white people start moving in. They qualify for mortgages. So mortgage companies, the same mortgage company that wouldn't lend the money to a black person to improve their property, that same mortgage company will lend it to a white person who buys the same property in a black community. That's why we call it gentrification. It's redlining, and it starts with racism, hatred of others. Do you know what it feels like to be other? Forget about even my feelings. Let's say you're not interested in my feelings. But that's what your public policy does. This is why when people say I have black friends and I, I'm looking at you like, why do you have to say you have black friends? Why, why is it just not your friend? Do you see what I'm saying? This redlining, that's what is creating homelessness. And it happens in California, right there in Los Angeles one of the richest cities in the country with one of the richest zip zip codes next door to one of the richest zip codes in the country, 90210, you have black people who are homeless. You have a whole tent city. But when you examine it and you start looking at why are people homeless in the wealthiest state, it goes back to redlining. And the people who who consider themselves liberals who say they vote liberal, right? And who say they advocate for justice for all. Are you aware that redlining is what has caused homelessness? Are you advocating for an end to redlining? No, because that's why your communities are burning down. You went as far as you could away from it to get away from those people, but you vote liberal. We need to examine the condition of our hearts and our minds. Really? We're good people, aren't we? Seriously? Good people who think that having throwing snakes in a river that separates two countries would bite snakes, would keep people from coming over because if they go in the river, snakes would eat them. That's being good. That's called being a good person. And you actually are going to go to bed and think about that. Do you sleep at night? I feel bad myself. What must it be like? Have you ever asked yourself, what is it like? I have never asked myself, what is it like to be white until maybe a year or two ago. It was a year or two ago after I set up my nonprofit. And I, a white woman who had written a grant for me told me why I couldn't get a grant. And that was the first time in my entire life I found myself wondering, what must it like to be white? I'm like, geez, but just one second, I would just want to stick it off on a form so I can go get the grant that I need to do this, just for one second. It never occurred to me that I could be anybody, that I should be anybody else less than who I am. I believe I'm the greatest person that God has created. I believe I'm a good person. I believe that I'm a nice person. I believe I make a solid contribution to the society. 
Why else would I want to be anybody else but me? I am fine as I am. I am fulfilled as I am. I don't need anybody else's or any outside validation to validate me to be a good person. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I couldn't understand why a society was going to force me to be anything other than whom I'm supposed to be. I kid you not. It just didn't make sense to me. Right? And so I couldn't, uh, it's something that when I found myself thinking like that, I'm like, girl, you, you're crazy. I'm like, Terry, quit. Let's go fight this battle and overcome this. Because if you sit there and think about the obstacles too much, you never will get started. You'll never do anything. So I had to look at the obstacles as opportunities. Here's an opportunity that I probably need to work around. And how am I going to work around this? I need to find more collaborators. See, you start thinking. How is this going to be done? I kid you not. So on this day, before Christmas, as you drive past the freeway and you see people in tent cities and you see people disadvantaged, I want you to think about why does this happen and feel some level of culpability and responsibility that you take your darn credit card out, pull your wallet out, and pay for somebody in front of you who is struggling to pay their bills or struggling to buy gas or struggling. Pay it forward. You owe it to them because you are enjoying what their ancestors paid the price for so you can be here. Your ancestors thought that they should have gotten it. Why? They kidnapped people and trafficked people and brought them here to work for free so that you could be wealthy. Now you see somebody struggling. Pay forward. And get up and speak up and say enough of this stuff. Maybe my ancestors did it 400 years ago. It doesn't have to be this way. Change it. Change it now. We all should participate. That may have been the thinking for 400 years ago. It's no longer relevant to this day. Change it. Don't just, oh, well, that's their problem. Let me keep it moving and get in my car and drive to my... I see it all the time. People see it and they're like, even if they display some empathy and compassion... Recently, I went to get my driver's license redone, something that I haven't seen arrive here yet. It's taking a darn long time. It's three weeks, right? And I went to get my driver's license done, and in the room where we sat, what I saw were there were white people and there were black people. And the white people were sitting and looking around like I am so, one man had this look on his face. I don't want to be reminded of this. And I am so glad, and I can't wait to get out of here. I don't know why I had to be here amongst these people. I don't want to be reminded. The look on his face, while he exhibited some level of compassion, you could see that in his face was some level also of culpability. But the way he does with it is, I want to get out of here so I don't have to be reminded of it. He could be the person who goes home and make a contribution to a charity anonymously because he feels some level of guilt. I don't even care how you do it. I don't care if you feel guilty or not. Just go make some contribution to improve somebody's life because you owe it to them. And if anybody never told you, you do. Think about it. 400 years of enslavement followed by 120 years of economic oppression designed to keep people marginally down. Ask yourself why. Why do, did my ancestors hate black people so much? Let me see what they said. Because they're going to say they were animals. 
and they were this and that. Are they were they really? They were just human beings who couldn't do any better. It looks like they had shackles on all the times. So I don't know how animalistic they could have been. Number two, they're lazy, but the guy on the line beside me, he worked really hard. The woman whom I'm listening to right now, she's a hardworking woman. She's trying to make it better for herself and trying to create awareness. So examine yourself. And when you start looking at it, you're going to find that a lot of what has been passed down to you subliminally in your social group, you're going to find it doesn't hold water. And you're going to feel like you should do something about it. Do. Do. Because you know what? You look in my face. And you're seeing it in my face. It's evidenced in my face, isn't it? The stress, the worry, that every time you get in your car and you drive out, you might have a negative encounter with the police that might not end to your benefit. You have to think about other people you know who are equally as vulnerable. You find myself thinking about what if they get pulled over. I find myself talking to my daughter's children, daughter's, um, my youngest daughter's friends about driving at night, making sure they don't, you know, you know what I mean? Make sure that you don't surround yourself with people who are questionable because it has become a societal thing. Why? I just want to be a person. I just want to be a person who runs the foundation for victims of trafficking and get my damn money from the damn government because I can, because I'm verifiable and proof worthy, not because of the color of my skin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why was that not enough? Why should I go get my go for a driver's license and be questioned within an inch of my life? Why? Because of the color of my skin. It is not fair. It never was and it never will be. Because this has to stop. I'm sick and tired of seeing so many people homeless and blaming it on their condition when they didn't have a choice. Some people fought against it. And one paycheck away, one job loss was enough to send them plummeting down. My God in heaven, where's our compassion? And then you want to tell me how good a person you are. And that you've helped so many people. But your public policy, your electronic footprint is saying something else. It's time that we do something about this. It's Christmas. While you sit at your dinner table this Christmas, And you look around under your Christmas tree, replaced with every gift that your credit card could tolerate. Your credit limit could do it. You got it for your children. I want you to think about the people who are living in shelters. Your home is nice, warm, and cozy. Think about the people who are living in tent cities, who have no shelter. It was cold a few days ago. By the love of God, I tell you, I don't know how I survived it because I kept saying to myself, How are people coping? I had heat on in my house that I didn't need to wear layers. And I started sweating, and I'm like, you're sweating? You're lucky you're sweating. At least you have heat on. What about the people who don't have any heat on? I was like, that's enough for me. Jesus, I'm so grateful. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not enough for us to turn a blind eye. It's not enough for us to be condescending to other people and think that we are better than them. We're not better. If Jeff Bezos and the billionaire class have their way, the rest of us will be nobody and they'll be out of here and gone to Mars. Think about that. When it comes right down to it, 
they're going to rule according to money. And if you're not part of their billionaire class, they're going to get out of here and leave the rest of us to suck on the damage that they have done. So you better band together. We better get together with one another and learn from one another and fulfill the ideals of this great country and what it was built on. All men are created equal. Fulfill the ideals that this country was created on that ideal, that all men are created equal. And that we must love one another and care for one another. If this country continues to say it was, it's a nation built on Christian values, then the Bible instructs us, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, instructs us to love our fellow man, love one another. That means you see your brother without shoe, go buy him a pair of shoes. That means you contribute to charities this Christmas season. When you look around and see your largesse, wonder if somebody else has a house. Maybe you can help somebody down paying on a house. Come on now. Maybe you can help a family who is homeless. Don't just buy them a toy for Christmas. Where are they going to put the darn toy when it's said and done? Think about that. They need somewhere to live. Help them get a job and stay in the job. Stop discriminating against people. Some of you are hirers. You hire people. Stop discriminating against people based on color. Give people jobs and pay them well so they can stay in the job. Hey, right? Come on, man. This country was built. That's why I came here. This country was built on the premise that all men are created equal and that there is liberty and justice and the pursuit of happiness and that if you work hard, you will reap wealth. Let's do it. Let's come back to basics. We've been shinned by the wealth and the glamour. And we have forgotten the basics. Let's get back to basics. It's Christmas time. Go to my website, theexodusfoundation.com. Make a donation to help folks like me. So we keep people off the streets and keep them warm, regardless of what they look like. When I opened my shelter, I didn't open my shelter for blacks. I opened my shelter for all women who are over the age of 18 whose lives have been damaged by, by victimized by human trafficking. I didn't care who you are or where you come from. If you need somewhere to sleep, you need somewhere to eat, I bought food for them myself. I bought, when I got clothing, I bought feminine hygiene products. I provided shelter. Come on. Go to the exodusfoundation.com, leave a donation, and think on these things. When you sit down and you're eating your turkey and your ham, and your pheasant and stuffed duck and whatever else you're eating and your caviar this, this, this winter season. This Christmas, think about those who don't have enough. My name is Harriet Kamek. This has been Down to Earth. We just had a down to earth conversation on the issues that matter to us in our country. We focused this morning on what it means to be black and homeless in America's wealthiest state, the state of California. Help us to be a big, help us to help those who have been victimized by the policies, the public policies of redlining that have prevented people from property ownership and continue to marginalize people who try to own property. Help us. And thank you so much for your support. Join us again next Monday when we return. After the holidays, we'll be counting down the new year with you all. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.